You're listening to Pulse, a podcast by Air Commandos for Air Commandos. Our mission is to seek clarity and confidence in our understanding of the factors which influence our individual effectiveness. We invite you to join us as we engage in real conversations, which explore everything from leadership to physical fitness, from resilience to developing effective habits. So lace up, sink your heading bug, and let's get after it. Welcome back to uh, Pulse. Uh, we are happy to be with you again. And uh, right now, we're going to take a quick moment to introduce ourselves and then also our special guest. So uh, I'm Master Sergeant Mike Fisher, uh, your Career Assistance Advisor outbound, but your newest. Master Sergeant Phil Bean, inbound Career Assistance Advisor. And current. Survey. And current. Yeah, you are the boss of the applesauce right This is now. true. Yeah. Up and running. Yeah. The boss of the applesauce. That's right. And then, of course, we have uh, John over here running our switchboard slash sound and... Yes, sir. I'm back once again, yeah. healthy and among That's the right. living. Let's That's do it. Right. But while we, why we are here right now is really about uh, our special guest. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, have this opportunity to sit down with this amazing individual. Um, Staff Sergeant retired, right? Am I technically correct there? Yeah, they threw me out. Yep. Okay. Staff Sergeant <laughs> retired. <laughs> Travis Mills. Um, you know, Travis, you and I were actually stationed at Fort Bragg together. Um, uh, I was there at one of the uh, joint soft units for a while from uh, 08 to uh, 16 and uh, didn't even know it uh, running around uh, that base together. Uh, Our kindred but, spirits. We yeah, finally met up. Yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Um, but uh, I didn't really know much about you until I had uh, watched an episode of uh, Returning the Favor with Mike Rowe where he featured you, oh, yeah. you and your foundation. And I'll tell you, that's when I started to get kind of get turned on to who you were, your story. And uh, to be honest with you, I've been very, very impressed and also quite uh, uh, happy about a lot of the things you're doing uh, right now. So what I'd like to do is give you the opportunity to do a quick, introdu quick introduction of yourself. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about your story because I think it's a, a pretty incredible story. Go. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, so I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. I did three deployments with them. Uh, I live in the state of Maine. I'm from Michigan originally. And how this all came to be was uh, my mom and dad fell in love, you know, and then they had my sister, which they thought we can do better. And then they had <laughs> me, you know, and then they um, thought they could duplicate the awesomeness that I am. And they had my brother. And when he uh, came into the world, they looked at him and said, well, I guess we'll just have one favorite and the other two would drag along. So <laughs> that's basically, you know, how my story begins. But uh, no, I'm from a small town in Michigan, grew up playing football and baseball and basketball like anybody. And sure. I went to a small community college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I played football there for a semester. And after I saw the bank account dwindling, um, or I guess actually my debt was piling up and I realized I was only going to school to play football, it didn't make sense. I moved back home and started to look at the military because I had a girlfriend I moved back home for and then she had a boyfriend when I got home. I didn't even know about him. So R R super awkward. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, super my awkward. Said, yeah, my mom's like, go to the Air Force. It's the best one. And it's the craziest thing. Like, I went there like three times. I never could find them in their office. So, like, you know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> no, nobody's going to laugh about Air Force joke. Okay. I love it. I love it. But, uh, no. Oh, I was I smiling. I went and talked to the Army. <laughs> my okay. dad was in the Army. Um, 
and I, I joined the A Second Airborne Division um, in March of six, and I made to Fort Bragg in August after basic training airborne school, and then I deployed in January of seven for fifteen months. Um, you know, on that deployment, I met my medic who I hung out with every day, and we just had a great time. And he went home and watched his first daughter be born. And while he was home, I had a MySpace friend request just pop onto my screen, and I'm like, I don't know her. I went to hit delete. And before I hit delete, I realized the same last name. Um, she had the same last name as my medic. And I was like, whoa. One thing he didn't tell us is he had an 18-year-old sister in college. And she thought I was cute because, I mean, at the time, I was six foot three. I found supplements in Germany, if you catch my drift. And I was jacked and tan. Right. And I hit accept just to make him mad. And we started chit-chatting. Huh. And we decided that our, you know, our first date, as you do, like anybody's first date, should be in Cozumel, Mexico. You know, she's right. living in Dallas. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I'm in Michigan or in Afghanistan. Never met her before, so I booked a trip to Cozumel. Uh, I flew into Dallas to pick her up on my 18-day R&R, and then we took off to Mexico <laughs> and uh, back to Michigan for a week. Overseas, I went, and I came back. We got married. Um, yeah, and I don't think I married her out of spite. I, I accepted the friend request <laughs> out of spite and antagonization, but I, I'm pretty sure marriage was. No, there's definitely love. Definitely. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I came back. We got married. Got an apartment. Right. Typical sure. story. Got the dog. We didn't have a TV, so we went and bought a dog. Still got the dog. He's 12. Nice. And um, I went overseas again to Afghanistan in 2009, 2010 for a year. And um, I don't know. Came back. Had a baby. And you, you know, had orders taken back overseas. Or your wife had the baby. He did say he was awesome. Well, he did say he was yeah, awesome. I mean, she, Okay, she had the baby. I stood there and I apologized for things I didn't even do. So oh, you did! <laughs> I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, it's my bad. Um, but then I had, I actually had orders sent me to Fort Hood, Texas. And I didn't want to go to Fort Hood. Nothing against it, but my guys were going to Afghanistan. I thought it wasn't right, so I decided, you know, let's uh, cancel my orders. My sergeant major canceled them, and nice. I deployed my men as a weapon squad leader, um, which. You know, in the infantry structure as a senior E6. So I had myself and the only two people that enlisted above me were my platoon sergeant and first sergeant. Um, and I, you know, there's three other squad leaders that were E6s, really great guys. Yeah. But um, I always worked a position above and uh, I took pride in that. So I went overseas and we first day was a huge firefight we got in country. And the second day was the same and it just continued. And um, I went on patrol about a month and a half in, you know, yeah. and I put my backpack on the ground in a short halt, and underneath my backpack, uh, there was actually a bomb. So uh, things changed drastically for me, and I don't want to just keep rambling. Yeah. Do you uh, you guys have anything to interject for? I I mean, I, I, it's not so nonchalant. I think I just I've told it so much where I don't want to like come off a shock that it happened again. You know, it's like when you tell it for like the, the tenth time, it's no longer like that funny. Like when your wife hears it the tenth time, she's like, "Oh my gosh!" The first time, great story. Second time, it was okay. The tenth time, like <laughs> here we go again. Right? Yeah. But I mean, th let, let's be real. This is your life now, right? And so this is this is not, um, you know. One thing I do appreciate about you is you can look back and you you can kind of, you know, have fun with the story. But let's be real. That the story was was pretty intense. I mean, what you faced from that moment yeah. you set that backpack down for quite a little while was rather intense. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more in depth about that because. Uh, I need. Yeah, I think it's important that the audience be able to kind of wrap their mind around the reality. 
that you face. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So in a weapon squad, um, everybody packs rounds like they're seven six two link, right? We all had like a thousand rounds in our bags, plus our M4s and our grenades. And I had a two hundred three, so I had a forty mic mics. Um, my backpack is about one hundred twenty pounds. Yeah. Um, my assault rock, they called it, little backpack. And I set it on the ground because it was marked clear by a guy in front of me at the minesweeper, not once but twice. And it's no fault of his. It just is what it is. And I set it down, and underneath it was a bomb. And when the bomb went off, it took my right side of my body, like my right arm and right leg off, then I found those pieces of me. And then the left side was um, dangling. So I got thrown on my head. I rolled over, and my left ankle bone was touching my left thigh. So it was just like dangling. Nothing they could do, just muscle and tendon, basically. And then my left hand was blown out at the wrist really bad, but I still had to use my thumb, middle, and um, index finger. So hit the ground, rolled over, saw what happened. My medic, Dan Bateson, runs up on me, and my platoon sergeant, Sergeant Hambright, runs to the other side. And within 30 seconds, they got tourniquets on me. And the whole time they're fixing me, I'm telling them, hey, guys, don't worry about it. You're not going to save me. And I watch a lot of more movies. I still do. Like, I like them. Uh, I truly enjoy them. And the only thing in my head at that moment was Saving Private Ryan. And I kept seeing the medic get shot in the stomach and cry out for his mom, tell his guys he didn't want to die, and beg for his life. And I thought, no way is that going to be how my guys remember me. At the end of the day, it's not my choice what happens. The outcome of this is going to be the outcome. And the only thing I can do right now that's going to be beneficial for anybody is to stay calm. So... I told my medic, don't even worry about it. You're not going to save me. Two other guys were yelling out for a medic. They got hit with some shrapnel. Um, quite quite a bit, not like just some. Like, oh, a little, little nick. Like, they were they were dinged up pretty good. Um, and I told my medic, like, don't save me. Don't worry about me. Just don't save my guys. And he ignored that, and they worked on me. So they're working on me. I used my left hand that still was functioning, and I radioed my LT, and I told my, uh, my lieutenant, I said, hey, you know, six, this is four. I got guys injured. I need your medic with mine. And um, he sent his, his medic. Alexander voiceover and Alex got the other two guys bandaged up and then he worked on me and as they're working on me he kept like on repeat you're gonna be fine Sergeant Mills you're gonna be okay you're gonna be fine Sergeant and he just like he was doing his job and he was told always to keep the patient calm but he was freaking out a little bit um because the amount of injuries and I looked at him and said hey doc just shut up do your job like you're gonna it'll be okay whatever happens it's not your fault and I told that to uh Doc Bateson too I said it's not your fault whatever happens so you know just keep driving on and they had to put a sternum IV in me. That's the only thing that I felt. Um, I didn't feel the, the limbs really. I can, you know, you could smell the, the aftermath of the bomb and the flesh, but I couldn't feel the injuries. They gave me a fentanyl pop, and I don't like suckers, so I like chewed it up. And I spit the sucker out. I was like, give me another one. They're like, why'd you do that? You're supposed to. I'm like, I don't like suckers. That's how I eat suckers usually. <laughs> you know, I know. Like, and they're like, we can't give you another one. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, but within, within 10 minutes of my medic getting to me, they had me on a helicopter. And as they were flying me in the helicopter, the flight crew that I had were very awesome. But I had my right arm gone, right leg gone, left leg duct taped to my thigh, basically. And my left arm was in a, you know, strapped to a board. And one of my guys was yelling out in pain, which he had every right to yell out in pain. And they put this, you guys might know more, but they put this, like, protective goop in my eye. Yeah. Um, it looked like, like kind of like jello or gel, like a Vaseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... They put that in my eyes, so I couldn't really see. It was like looking through beer goggles. But as I'm yelling at the flight medic, hey, take your helmet off. I said, take your helmet off. I looked at him, and I got my arm out to get a motion, and I swung it over my head, and I said, take your, uh, I said, take your helmet off. I didn't say I said other choice words, but right. um, he took his helmet off so he could hear me. I said, give my guys water and tell them they're going to be okay. And 
he gave my guys water and he just was like, and like, I can't believe this guy is yelling about this. Cause at that point I'm not focused on myself. Why would I do that? That's, you know, <laughs> like I was saying in my head, you're not going to change it. I was always the first in a firefight and I was always the last out and I never showed fear. I very rarely ducked for cover and not cause I was dumb, but because they shoot from so far away, they want you to dive into cover. Um, because that's where they have the booby traps at. So like you just take a knee, but I didn't take a knee cause I had to, I had two different weapon squad, uh, or weapon teams that had to get ripping rounds and they were always spread out. So I had to go back and forth. And, um, you know, those guys on the helicopter, they actually wrote an email to my wife and I, it's in my book. It's actually, in, I have a book tough as they come. It's New York times bestseller, but it's in there, their letter that they wrote to me. We got permission to put it in there. Like how they couldn't believe that at the time, this E six and E nine and I'm, and I'm sitting here going, well, I'm doing anything to keep my mind off of this. Yeah. And they rolled me down the hallway. Finally, they got me in the hospital. They rolled me down the hallway. And as they're rolling me in, I'm trying to sit up the whole time. And the nurses keep pushing me down. And finally, I was like, quit touching me. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I got, I got to get back to my guys. <laughs> and the nurse you know, looked at me. And she's like, Sergeant Mills, I don't know how you're still awake right now, but you need to go to sleep. And then they knocked me out. And the last thing I said to that nurse was, my little girl, am I ever going to see her again? Because I had a six-month-old at home You know, I had to get back to. I had to get back to. And I think you guys in this room probably all have mm-hmm. people that you didn't make it back, yeah. you know, and unfortunately mm-hmm. they didn't have the op- opportunity to come back. And I'm like, if I go to sleep, cause it was dawning on me at that moment. Like if I go to sleep right now, I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer conscious and awake, yeah. but they push fluids. So like I was not <laughs> going to fight it. I was like, Oh no, okay, I'm done. And I went to sleep and then they worked on me for 14 hours and there was nine doctors and seven nurses. And they actually, they ran out of blood, so they had to do like a mass call for blood. Um, so I had to do a bunch of tests afterwards because the blood that they gave me was like out of people into me. It was A positive and universal. And apparently my blood type changed for a little bit because I was given so much universal. Wow. Um, but it changed back. I talked to a lot of doctors. I was given um, 400 units of blood. And I'm not like a medical professional, but I was told at the time it was the most ever given in Kandahar. I don't know if I still hold the record. Hopefully I do. Um, cause I hope no one got hurt yeah. that bad, but also right. like I'm a champion. So like I want to, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so they worked on me and they, you know, the first thing, I guess they took my pants off. My left leg was, they had, they had to take the rest of it cause it's basically coming off. Um, my left hand was still there, but my wrist was blown out and my, you know, fingers were mangled up my pinky and ring. And then they worked on me my brother-in-law got the phone call about what happened he had to come in because he was supposed to be the one to escort my body home if i died um they loaded me on a helicopter on a on another plane from kandahar and they flew me to bagram on april 12th of 2012 because this happened april 10th of 12 and when they took me in for a clean out they realized the skin on my left arm had died the necrotized they had to cut it off so i became a quadruple amputee and then two days after that they flew me to launch tool germany and they woke me up for the very first time and when I came to, in the room, like, my brother-in-law was the only one there, you know? Yeah. Now, I, I want to kind of dive into this point of a quadruple a- amputee. Now, like, I mean, how rare is that? Like, So, at, at the time, I was the fourth ever. Um, there's five total now. And I have, I have a problem with that because, not a problem, but it's such an elite club. Right. And I feel like two guys opted out of it. Like, they had double arm transplants, so I'm not sure if it counts for them anymore to be in my club. So, it's like... <laughs> No, no, they, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff they're doing. They, they do have double arm transplants, which, you know, they, they, they bear the burden knowing that someone lost their life that, for them to have those arms. But at the same time, the person was an organ donor and it yeah. wasn't of their doing. So there, there's five total of us. Uh, matter of fact, the fifth one, Taylor Morris, uh, Navy EOD specialist, 
it's his eight-year-alive day, they call it, since the accident today. Um, he's a great friend of mine. Oh, wow. yeah. um, him and his wife are expecting their first child, uh, and I, I can't be happier for him. I mean, I'm, I'm sad that he got injured, you know, and we both had a little bit of a quarrel because in high school, my high school jersey for football, basketball, baseball is number five, and apparently his was number four. And... You know, he's the fifth one. I'm the fourth one. So yeah. it just didn't work out the way we planned. Right. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Because you planned. But I think the takeaway from that is, is you know, because it's so rare, what that means is, is usually injuries sustained like that. Um, you know, you're well, not, yeah, you're I, not I guess, coming home. Right? I mean, uh, I didn't know if I didn't want to go morbid with it. But, yeah, they say guys that are injured kind of the accent don't really make it out. But right. also, Kandahar. If you make it to Kandahar alive, you have a 99% chance of leaving there alive. That's how good their battlefield medicine is. And that's, that's phenomenal. It's just, that's I mean, great. it's impressive. It's yeah. impressive. I didn't know that. You know, it's like I, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I would um, say you are I did, that. You know, <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, there's a lot of things I didn't know that I didn't know since I've become an amputee. But, um, but anyway, so like April 14th, they woke me up for the first time out of my medical sedation since my injury, and my brother-in-law was the only one in the room. And I came to... You know, the first thing I asked him about my soldiers, I said, my soldiers, how are my soldiers? And he told me, you know, Ryan's here, Brandon's there. This is what happened. They'll make it. You took most of the blast. I said, okay. And then I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, no. And I said, look, Josh, you don't got to lie to me. Like, I can't feel my fingers and toes, man. And so am I paralyzed? He said, you're not paralyzed, Travis, but you don't have them anymore. Because he didn't want to, he didn't want to sugarcoat it, right? He wanted to tell me the truth. Let me know. Um, that this is what happened and that's everything. So I just said, oh. And I ignored everybody for three hours. The doctors come in, the nurses, and I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't talk to Josh because, you know, they have questions, but I have my own, you know, I have my own questions. And I'm like, am I a bad person? You know, like, what did I do wrong in life to deserve this? How can I be a husband and a father? And a big question was like, why didn't I just die? Like, how is this better? I'm the guy that you call for help and I will be there. I am not the guy that's going to call you and like i'm not going to lean on you as much as i want you to lean on me and not because i'm a bad person i don't trust people it's just like you need help moving furniture let's do it do i need help moving furniture no i used to bear hug the washer and dryer and i'd take it you know up the three flight stairs in my first apartment by myself and now i'm the guy that has to say hey can you feed me can you help me go to the bathroom can you and that, that just didn't sit well with me but Anyway, after about three hours of ignoring everybody, Josh chimed in. I had to call my wife and my parents, so I did that. And I talked to my wife, and I didn't want to have a conversation, so I said, hey, what's up? I'm fine. Love you. Bye. And then my parents, about the same thing. I more apologized and was, said I was embarrassed that this happened, and I didn't want to, you know, be a burden. And, and my mom just said, hey, you know, happy birthday. You know, it was my 25th birthday that day that I woke wow. up. Yeah. And then I, I got to go home the 17th, which, by the way, the Air Force CCAT teams are phenomenal. Just, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever talk about them. But what a phenomenal group of individuals that come together and just crazy what they do and and the things they perform on those planes. Um, But I got home the 17th. They rolled me into the hospital. My wife came to see me. Before she could get to me, they gave her a clipboard because my right leg had been um, ripped open by the sutures, and they split. And they were like, he needs to go to emergency surgery. We have to cut two inches off his right leg. And they gave her a clipboard saying, you have to sign this paperwork for us to do it because you're in charge of medical care now. And she signed the paperwork. Um, and then they rolled me into surgery and the next day she came in and you know, it's that real realization, like nothing's going to be the same ever again. And she's 23. We have a six month old together. Um, we're married till death do us part. But when she got there, I looked at her and I said, you don't have to do this. Like take everything we have and go. Um, I appreciate the fact that you are here, but this is not a life I choose for you and house, money, cars, whatever we have saved up. It's all yours. And financially 
I will take care of you however I can, but you and Chloe go live a better life than this. And, you know, and she was, she was offended and she was like, you know, I really want handicapped parking. So I'm going to ride this one out. And <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I had to, I, it was getting, it was getting too intense. I had to break it up. But right, no, right, she was right, like, right. that's how this works. We'll get through this together. And I started my recovery at Walter Reed, you know, um, wonderful facility filled with the most amazing doctors, nurses, hospital staff, um, therapists and prosthetists and just everybody that goes into it. And the, the one thing I, you know, during my recovery process and, um, you know, I had to set some goals that took me a while to get like my mind right about getting better. Like about like, all right, this is my life. Let's roll. Um, about two weeks of feeling sorry for myself and self-loathing. But after that, you know, like for a while there's six months, I couldn't look in the mirror at myself. Cause I'm like, who am I? Like what the heck happened? But I started becoming a role model to people. Cause when I was upbeat and I was happy and within five weeks my injury I had a hand again I was feeding myself within seven weeks and four days I was walking again on short legs around a track in the hospital and I just realized that the biggest hurdle for me was going to be mentally I was going to overcome this and I I want you to know I didn't do it right <laughs> and I uh I'll admit that there's not a blueprint um, for this by the way <laughs> well no I mean let me tell you what I did um and you're gonna understand you're gonna be like oh yeah that was probably wrong so uh, when I was in the hospital bed recovering, cause I was, I lost 110 pounds and I was so weak at one point I couldn't roll on my sides or sit up by myself. And the one day I was sleeping, recovering stuff, you know, recovering or whatever and sleeping and the mental health lady came in and talked to me and I wasn't awake. So she said, I'll come back. My wife told me she came and I said, well, I'm not talking to her. You, she can tell her that I'm not talking to anybody. Well, she came back in again and I was laying down and my wife said, mental health's here. And I pretended like I was sleeping just straight up. Just and she went away the third time she came back i was sitting up eating a bowl of cereal with a makeshift splint material arm with a spoon attached to it right just like duct tape and like splint material right she comes in i looked at her and i said oh crap I, you know out of the words <laughs> and i just and i just fell back into my bed like from straight sitting up fell back in my bed put, shut my eyes like i was sleeping <laughs> and, she, and she goes she goes what are you doing and I gave her my name, and I gave her my rank, and I gave her my social. And she's like, uh, what? Yeah. And I said it again. She goes, I don't understand what you're doing. I said, that's all you tell the enemy, so you can take that and leave. <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, you can take that and leave, or you can just leave. I don't care, but don't come back. I ain't, and Kelsey's like, stop being mean. I said, I told you to tell them I'm not talking to nobody. And to this day, I haven't talked to anybody um, in, a in a therapy session like that. I used to have a social worker there, um, Christy. She would try her hardest. Every week, I had to go sit with her. And she'd try, and I'd say, look, we can talk about you all day long, but we're not talking about me. I said, you're wasting your time and mine. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I can do this just fine by myself, and I'm not talking to you. Because, you know, in my head, they always tell us that we're going to lose, you know, we get told that, um, you know, you, you'll, get, you'll get in trouble or you'll lose your guns. or what. It's like unwritten, you know, yeah. rules. You don't talk to mental health. Yeah. And um, I just... I just wasn't going to talk to her. And, and I found therapy in having the ability to talk with other guys in the same situation, talk to my wife, and now my motivational speaking. So did I do it right? Absolutely not. Like, so I, I got a question well, for you. Yeah, yeah, I got a yeah. So with that, because I was saying about this when you were talking earlier, is if you're, I mean, you're, like you said, you're in an elite club. There's, a, there's only a few handful of you. So how much are they really going to be able to help you in that sense? But I guess the question I have is now that you're doing 
like you are with us sitting here having a conversation, how does talking about this all the time, um, ultimately, I guess, almost reliving that situation, how does that, how do you handle that side of it? Because a lot of our guys, you know, they dwell on that and, you know, it, it really starts to wear on them as they constantly have to relive a moment that was so tragic. Um, I guess, how do you handle that situation or like, how has that been for you? Yeah, and um, it, you know, a lot of people might think like it's prescri- uh, prescription, or maybe I drink a little bit. And the truth is, it's none of that. Um, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, I found out really early in my recovery. No matter how many times I close my eyes, and I hope and I wish and I prayed this wasn't my situation. I hope and I wish I prayed I can go back in time. And I thought if I can just find a way to not make this be my reality, life would be so much better. Well, that's never going to happen. Never going to change what happened in the past no matter what. So I decided instead of dwelling on the past, I'd reminisce it. 25 years with arms and legs and just go forward and, and be the best dad and husband I can be. Um, I also have a huge understanding of perspective. And in truth, I have so many friends that didn't make it back home that deserved to make it back home that were wonderful husbands, fathers, sons, brothers, and they didn't get the opportunity. So how selfish is it of me if I don't take the ability to keep pushing forward because those doctors and those nurses, two nurses for nine hours took turns pumping air in and out of my lungs. Instead of just like, you know what? This one's too far gone. Loosen that tourniquet. We'll call the day two minutes, maybe three tops. He's out of here. No, they went ahead and worked on me. Their sacrifice is just as important, but actually today's the seven year anniversary of my good friend, Frankie, um, getting killed in Afghanistan. And I talk about him every time I talk. And I try to honor him and his family. He left behind a daughter, his wife. His wife's remarried. She's doing good, but she misses him. She still puts posts up. And, you know, her husband, I'm glad that he understands that, you know, like her first love. And, and now he's there and she loves him very much. But um, I, I guess for me to relive it, it doesn't bother me because I live it every day. It's not like I wake up and I'm not reminded like, oh, look, my legs, my arms are gone. You know, that's just it's what it is. <laughs> so... So having the chance, like when I was at Walter Reed and I was, I was doing this stuff, I had a, a guy come visit me. The second ever quadruple amputee came into my room and he like talked to me. He was like, hey, you're going to be fine. You're going to walk, drive, feed yourself, go to the bathroom by yourself. Like everything you think you can't do or you're wondering about, you'll be able to do it. And that meant a lot to me. So I took it on myself to go room to room and meet people and say, hey, what's up? You're going to be fine. And it came in out as like they would tell me like at first, like, hey, Travis, some, we have some guys up there struggling. Like we can't tell you what room, you know, this one particular guy's in. In his name but we can tell you that he's not in room 40 and he's not in room 42 but if you can find him you know he might need a conversation i'm like oh good you came to the right guy i'm not a marine <laughs> like i can count uh so <laughs> you know, but i'd go up there and then it turned into like hey we got pfc johnson missing one leg his wife kid and mother are here can you go do a visit and then it became part of pt like far physical therapy we would have guys in wheelchairs short legs tall legs walk the fourth floor and meet everybody because it was a pretty bad year 2012 people getting blown up and losing limbs and um then some people did a documentary about me they heard about this they did a documentary travis a soldier story it's actually on fox nation right now you can stream it but um you know i I just i guess i like helping people i like not being the victim like i don't want to play the victim role or the pity me role and when people say hey you're one of those wounded guys i'm like you know i was wounded right i get that because there's always that negative connotation of like wounded um, or you were you're injured, and it's like, no, I, I was wounded. I guess I did have injuries. I have scars now, and life goes on. You know what? What are you gonna do? So, uh, my wife and I are so thankful to be settled in Maine, 
we started a nonprofit that brings up combat and service-connected injured veterans, and we show them how to do things adaptively um, at this wonderful, wonderful retreat we built. Um, if you guys out there listening, check out TravisMillsFoundation.org. And we have a new program, which I'm very excited about because I know there's some struggles out there. And everybody always asks me when I'm on the road speaking or out in public or anywhere, what do we do for post-traumatic stress? And before I used to say, hey, there's these wonderful programs out there. Check this email out and, and um, you know, go to their website, sign up. It's going to be great. Well, just recently, this program out of Boulder Crest, Virginia, um, had Warrior Path and it's P-A-T-H-H. And they got a, a nice size grant to open up 10 more training um, programs, but they're going to be different facilities. And we became one of those facilities. So now for post, they call it post-traumatic growth. And it's more about, hey, look, you were built up to be a, a military service member. You were never broken down to be a civilian. And this is ways to cope with it. It's an 18-month course, and you have to be dedicated. You can't have, like, your mom call and say, hey, my son really needs this. Or your wife say, my husband has to go through this. Um, it has to be the service member. And they have to realize it's going to be one week of a retreat that's, you know, a bunch of classes and trainings. And then everything else is done online with group sessions and things like that along the way. But I'm so proud to be a part of it because it's showing there's actual change. It's not like this one guy in my area, he's like, I got a way to help PTSD by clicking a mouse and, and using your eyes on a computer screen. You click the mouse so many times. I'm like, I don't even know how that makes sense. But whatever. Yeah. This is more about like post-traumatic okay. growth. Let's get better and let's find an actual, you know, an actual way that you don't have to say like, sorry for freaking out. I have PTSD. And more like, okay, cool. Like this is a little bit stressful. Here's the things I was taught to do. Let me just back it off a little bit because you go full, full tilt in Afghanistan, you know, from 110% to back home and petting the dog. You know, like I remember my second deployment, I got back and I was driving past Range, uh, the Range Road, and the 240 Bravos opened up just like the machine gun pits were opening up. And me and my driver on my deployment, who's a good friend of mine, Hubbard, were driving. And I was driving my car, and they opened up out of nowhere. We, you know, it's normal, but we weren't expecting it. I jammed the, the brake. I pulled to the right of the road. I reached down um, as we both yelled, contact right, contact right. And I had my hand on the door to get out, and I was grabbing for my M4, which obviously wasn't there in my Hummer, right? It wasn't. But it's where it would have been by my leg. And I'm like, contact right, contact right. And then we're both opening our door, trying to grab for our M4s. And then we're like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's just the range. Let's keep going. But, you know, it's ingrained in us, and, and it's not a bad thing. I remember we did so much um, shadow drills of, like, clearing houses before my, my, sec, uh, my, my second deployment that my wife, we were, we were 24-hour, like, just straight clearing rooms, clearing rooms, clearing rooms. And my, I got home at 4 a.m., and my wife had to go to work. She worked at the coffee house, the coffee house, I don't know where that's at in Fort Bragg, but worked there. And she forgot something. She came back in the door, and I heard the door open, and I'm in my boxers, basically 80% asleep and I have a rifle like emotionally I have a rifle in my hand I don't but it's like I have my hands up with a rifle and I'm clearing my hallway my bathroom right at my wife and she's like what are you doing and I'm like oh nothing nothing but I don't <laughs> I don't have nightmares right I don't have any remorse I've had to shoot people I've had to throw grenades and kill people like I, I've had to do that stuff I've had to take buddies home um you know not home but take them to like load them on helicopters and stuff like that so like at the end of the day, I don't know why I'm able to cope so so well with it, and I think some of it is that I'm so vocal. I can talk to anybody about anything. Um, I'll never project my problems on people. Like I'll just, I'd rather just have a conversation and see how we can collectively get through something. But 
so I, I think the biggest thing is don't dwell on the past and reminisce it. And then also you can't control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. And I'm not going to let anything defeat me. So the biggest thing, those are the two biggest messages, messages that I tell the audience when I speak. Because when I wake up, I do have no arms and legs, right? Like that's just my reality. I jump in my wheelchair, I throw my arm on, I get off the charger, I have my coffee. My wife, I, my, my wife and I, we have a, a second child now. Um, so just in case somebody out there is wondering, still got it, still works. And we named him Dax. His, his two and a half year old, you know, wild man. His name's Dax, um, D-A-X, because my eggs were Daniel and Alexander. And um, I respect them so much for what they did, made it possible for me to come home. And I'm just excited because my, well, and honestly, it's a second choice. My wife said I named everything Travis Mills, so I couldn't name my kid that because I have a foundation, my speakers group, and um, me, and I think something else named after myself. And she's like, you, you've done enough with your name. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so if I, could, if I could ask you to, to circle around, one of the things that, that really stands out to me with your story is, you're talking about you you mentioned hopelessness particularly when you're in the hospital and that that feeling that overcomes you and i think most of us as service members know someone or maybe it's happened to us where we've felt this extreme hopelessness from a particular situation uh from a situation that nobody quite can relate to right because i think you're in exactly that situation to say hey nobody can there's very there's so few people that can relate to me it's safe for me to say uh -huh. you can't relate to me and sometimes that uh whereas you lost some limbs that could be other stressful situations that are unusual right and that people go through yeah you've got you've got an uh, an, a, a tremendous uh, admirable amount of grit however i feel like there was something that switched you from that uh that kind of well of despair that, and you've seen it right through your experiences that whirlpool will people just get a little bit lower a little bit lower as time goes on what pulled you out of that you know your interactions was that the interactions with other people finding you know almost as a distraction maybe uh from yeah i mean looking at yourself um yeah if i jump in here so yeah I wasn't just automatically in the hospital like, okay, cool, gotta get better, and I'm happy. Like, life life will throw you the most craziest of, of roller coaster rides. So, like, in high school, I was everything, right? I was an all-state catcher in baseball. I was all-conference football player. I played, you know, and then I went to college, and I found out that even though I was big time in it in my small town, I am a freshman, and I am not going to play at this college very many plays. And that was like, you know, it's a little bit of a low. You're like, what the heck? Then school's not going right because you don't care about school. You find out the only reason you cared about it because your mom and dad made you care about it. And then you go into the military and you get yelled at and broke down and like, you piece of, and then, but then you get built up. And you're like, oh man, I am 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I am the man. And you go on deployments and, and you do that and you get married and everything's going great. And then I, I got my legs and arms taken away and all time low at the hospital. I became. I don't want to say a beacon of hope but like at least a role model for people to say like well well shoot if that guy can, if travis mills can do it so can i right i'm missing both legs i'm over here in a bad mood and this guy's got no arms and legs and he's doing the best he can he's working out every day eight, you know eight hours a day occupational therapy and physical therapy to get his life back in order and he's got a smile on why he does it but i don't want anybody to think that and and you're right having someone to understand you or be in the same situation we have the greatest friends we've ever made uh, so not ever made, but some of the greatest friends we ever made at Walter Reed. My wife has a Walter Reed 
group of, of wives that she talks to every day, multiple times a day. They're all on the same text chain. Wonderful people. I talk to the husbands every now and then because we're dudes. But, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm not like, hey, what shoes should I wear this event? I'm going to wear my New Balances that New Balance supports me with. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what pool are you going to wear? The one with my logo on it has my name on it, so don't forget that it's mine. Yeah. And um, the, but the, the real truth is when that lady at the hospital – was trying to help me and talk to me. In my head, I was like, there is no way she's gonna understand me. She can sit there and nod her head as many times as she wants. And she can ask me my feelings as many times as she wants. But unless she's been there and she's watched people die and she's watched you know, decisions that were poor, you, know, you followed decisions that were poor by leadership, or so you made a decision that cost somebody their life, limbs, or injury, then she has no place to talk to me. And she's trying to do her best, right? She's trying to be super nice. And I'm sitting here in my head going, you're never going to get it. And, and that's awful. Like, I shouldn't have had that mindset. Um, and I got out of the military. And I went to Dallas where my in-law's house was at. And I can remember getting home the first day. Everybody's excited. Welcome home. Da, da, da. You're out of the hospital finally. 19 months. You were there. And now you're on yourself. And you're free. And I got there. And I went in the bedroom. There's a picture of me. that, I, And I use the picture all the time. It's, uh, I'm all kitted up. I have an orange baseball cap. that says Vassar Balkans, the town that I'm from in Michigan. That little kid made me when I was in high school. Um, and I broke down and I was like, who am I now? Like I cried I, and my wife walked in, I was sobbing. I was like looking at my picture. I'm like, that's Staff Sergeant Travis Mills right there. I said, that guy's awesome. I said, but who am I? Who am I now? Cause everything was taken away. Like I was supposed to be in the military 20 years. I was supposed to go to recruiting and then become an officer. And like I had my life mapped out and things changed. Well, then I just, after that whole self pity session for a day, I started working out again. I started speaking. I started finding what I, you know, what my new mission in life was going to be. We started a, it's a multi-million dollar nationally recognized nonprofit, which I'm very proud of, the Travis Mills Foundation. We have two and a half million dollars in renovations that we put into it and opened in 17. And we help families. And that's the biggest thing I did at Walter Reed. It wasn't just the service member sitting in there. It was the spouse and the children. And we show them how to do things adaptively. I'm so proud of that work. My motivational speaking, it does provide my, income i mean on top of my pension but i, I also just truly enjoy it i mean i think people have a good time because i joke around and i'm a lot different than, than they expect or they're used to and then you know i i uh i drank whiskey one day with my buddy and we bought a marina on a lodge so i own i was like my wife and his wife were like don't you do it so I <laughs> hey uh but Travis, yeah. real quick I, i'd like to um kind of get a little bit more specific and of course you know, change the names to protect the innocent, whatever that looks like. Um, but uh, do you have any couple of moments or examples uh, where now that you're doing what you're doing, you've realized, you've seen something in somebody else, you've realized, hey, I'm making a difference now. I'm actually making an impact. Yeah. And, and I'd really like to hear you talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, um, what, what my my impact moment was when Todd Nicely came to visit me, and he was like, "You're gonna be fine." And I asked him point blank, I said, "Hey, you want a ginger ale?" I had I was addicted to ginger ale okay, when I was in the hospital, but I couldn't get out of bed, obviously, and get it. And I said, "It's over there on the counter." And he thought I said, "Hey, can you get me a ginger ale?" So he walked over on his fake legs, he knelt down on the, on one knee, he reached under the counter with a prosthetic arm, grabbed it, right, picked it back up, used his other prosthetic arm and opened it grabbed a straw and put it on my thing. I was like, oh, I was asking if you wanted one. But before I even got the sentence out, I was like, how did you do that? And he said, man, I'm telling you, you're going to be fine. That was my like, okay, uh -huh. let's just roll with it. Yeah. 
you know. And then um, at the hospital, I was talking to everybody. Like this one kid, he was really trying to walk off a four-inch step, and he was super afraid that he was going to fall. He had both of his arms, and his therapist asked me if I'd come back and work out at a certain time. And I was like, yeah, no problem. She's like, I can't really ask you to come help, but, you know. Um, and whatever. Like the therapist and me are very good friends. So I came back. And this guy was so afraid. He was in the harness system. He wasn't going to fall. And his therapist is like, you're holding on to a quadruple amputee to take a step off a four-inch step. And I said, are you just afraid of falling? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, well, you're not going to hit the ground. He goes, I'm just afraid of falling. I said, okay. And I just pushed him over. He didn't hit the ground. (laughs) And then he just was like, I was like, you're going to be fine. Let's just get through this mental block. You know, look, I was a jump master. Um, I had two kids that, you know, and I know people know what that is. When you're flying in an airplane, and you got to jump out of a door because you're an airborne paratrooper. You have jump masters in charge. I had given the brief, and I told them, don't check me at the door. When I say green light go, you will jump. And I had two kids, different jumps, check me at the door, and, like, they just stood there froze. I picked one kid up by the back of his pants and the back of his shirt and threw him out. And the other kid, I just Spartan kicked out the door because <laughs> I was not going to have a – I'm not going to have a jump refusal. Ain't no way. Yeah. So, so I just pushed the guy over. And then another thing, I, I wanted to prove to myself that I could, from my house – with my wheelchair, drive all the way to Washington, D.C., 13 hours, get my legs fixed, stay, check into the hotel by myself, and do things on my own. Wash, shower, bathe, everything. And I did that. But when I got to the hotel, I mean, um, the hospital, I went to turn my legs in, and all the therapists, you know, because I've been retired now for like four or five months, the therapist was like, oh my gosh, have you heard about this guy upstairs? You got to talk to him. And then the nurses and the doctors, and all these people were saying, hey, this guy really needs your help. And I went to the, the floor at Four Center where he was at, and I asked the nurse, like, hey, what rooms for this story? We'll say John. I said, what room's John in? And two of the nurses like, well, he doesn't take visitors after 4 o'clock. And the other nurse turns around, and she knew who I was. She goes, oh, my gosh, when did you get back in town? I said, literally a half hour ago, and all I've heard is I got to come see this guy. She goes, well, let's go. And I, she walked in, and she said, you have a visitor? He goes, I don't take visitors. And I pushed the door open with my wheelchair. I only have my left arm on. And um, it's a prosthetic, obviously. And, and I goes, well, tonight you're going to. And she, you know, excused herself and he goes, you lost three limbs. I said, no, bro. And I, you know, I, whatever. And I spun my hand in a circle because I can do that. You guys on the screen can't see it. I mean, on the show. Yeah. And I said, I lost all four and you're going to be fine. And I gave the same speech Todd Nice gave me. I said, and tomorrow I'm going to take you around and I'm going to show you all about the Matsy, the military advanced training center and the things you're going to meet. The ladies going to teach you to drive the process are going to make your legs and the therapists are going to help you get back where you need to be. And after three hours, I was in his room three hours, right, just talking. He beat me. I got back from my meetings and stuff I had set up, like with prosthetics and all that, and he was already doing his tour. And I caught up, and the doctor showed him around some resident. He had a bow tie on. He looked real goofy, and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, you can go now. And he's like, well, I'm sh-. I said, no, buddy, you can go now. And I told the doctor because he didn't know what he was talking about. He was just some guy that was like, hey, go take him around. He, didn't never, he wasn't nobody that was actually like there for a long time. And I took him around, and I was so fortunate, actually – um, one of my soldiers that decided to stay in the military lost both of his legs and served underneath me. Like he was my, uh, on my weapon squad team, was ammo bear. He was learning how to run. And this guy, John, it was funny because John Harmon's the guy that he, that was running as my soldier. But this other guy we called John. His name's not John. Um, <laughs> he was like just so – he had the same injuries. He was so impressed, and they became quick friends. And then it was like just night and day. His whole attitude changed. And he was no longer like, get out of my room. I don't talk to anybody. This is miserable. Like, all right, cool. We can do this. And the last thing I'll say is at my foundation um, where I've seen the changes, we have journals in every room that families can record stuff in. And they write about how they've never seen a place set up that was able for them to enjoy themselves, the spouses, the, the service members, and the children. Some are old enough to write. And just in normal conversation, 
the, um, last year, my uh, lead gift, uh, my um, program director, who was a therapist I sold from Walter Reed, um, and she runs all the show um, out there. She was listening to the wife's talk, and the, one of the wives said, I haven't seen my husband like this since before deployment. And he had been injured like five years, hmm. you know, and it's like, and she was like in tears, like just having like a moment with her, with the other, and they don't know each other when they go to this camp, like, or this retreat, like they just meet when they get there. A lot of them, some of them know each other, but a lot of them meet sure. and, and the bonding in the six days that they're there, like that came out on the couch and Kelly was just like, that's awesome. And then when the kids are crying, like this is better than the world. That feels good. I mean, I like seeing kids cry, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that's good. And they think it's better than going to Disney. We know we've done something right. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, that's one of the things that really impressed me about your foundation and, and what you offer is that it is family centric. It's it's the entire team there, and uh, yeah. you know I think part of that, and I could be off, but I think part of that was your own recognition of how much your family contributed to your uh, recovery as well, and so you kind of wanted to pick up on that. So I think it's important for our listeners to kind of understand that uh, about that. So um, oh yeah, well that's yeah. yeah. So uh, exactly what happened. I went on trips and my family, my wife got to go and, and nobody else got to take their spouse. And I thought, why even do the trip and get better if you can't take your loved one? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I know we're wrapping up on time and I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity. I hope I didn't ramble too much. I'm worried I talked too much. No, man. No, no, you, you didn't talk too much. And honestly, you, I think maybe just at your comfort level speaking, every question I had, you started answering. If I just waited like a minute and a half, you kind of <laughs> got to the answer. I was like, oh, he's... That's what I was going to ask about. No. He's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just real quick, though, uh, any big things coming up? I mean, is there stuff that you guys are looking to uh, do as a foundation, et cetera, to um, to continue getting after uh, what you what your passion is now? Yeah, I mean, when everything slows down um, and we get back to life as normal, we can't wait to bring families back up here. But obviously, we're going to do it the safe way. But sure. we have a virtual 5K now because we have a big 5K fundraiser in Augusta we usually do that brings in about $200,000. And this year we had to cancel it, but we have a virtual 5K, uh, Miles from Mills, Maine. If anyone wants to sign up, you download an app on your phone, it tracks it. You can run it in your backyard. You can do it on treadmill. You can just lie and say you did it, you know, like me. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we have, we have that coming up. I'm just excited for the platform that I've been given. I, you know, with this COVID stuff going on in the world, I, I own a small business. I had, I put a call in or requested the governor of Maine to call me. She called me right back within five minutes. Like, just having that kind of, not pull, but um, standing in the community means yeah. a lot to me. You know, that connection, yeah. And I called the previous governor, who I'm friends with as well, to ask his opinion on some things. And just having that connection and, and knowing people out there respect me. Matter of fact, I'll be honest, uh, they, um, a radio station put a story out yesterday. And it was like, Travis Mills is going to defy Governor Mills. Her name's Governor Mills, Janet Mills, uh, executive order, and open up his business anyway. And I'm like, well, well, hold on now. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, when people's backs are against the wall and their livelihoods are at stake, they're not, it's, and it's a choice between bankruptcy or take consequences and their chances. They're going to take consequences and chances. And I said, there are some fanatical people that support me that would go to the Capitol and they would just riot because I, they think that I'm upset. And yeah. she goes, you do have a pretty good reach, outreach uh, and pull of people. You probably should have me change that. I said, yes, please change that because uh, I should probably do final edits on stuff that gets put out that I don't know about. Right. But anyway. I, uh, Especially since I, yeah, your I'm followers just, are pretty much all trained, you know, military members, too, for the most part. <laughs> pretty skilled with a weapon. This, this, this is true. This yeah. is true. But, no, I, I you know, look, I, I'm just excited about where we're heading in the future, things that are coming up, and um, having the ability to get my message out there, but also to know that, 
nothing that I'm known for is like negative. I'm not known for being some, some jerk. I'm, I'm not, I'm just here trying to help. Right. And Absolutely. when people don't want to get mental health, um, like with, with the big mental health thing, they don't want help from somebody who doesn't understand them. I get that because I felt the same way. And I, I, I have no right answer because I'm not sitting there going, well, now I get help because I, I don't. I think this is more helpful. And this is how I do do all my help is talking to, you know, wonderful, super duper, amazing, awesome people. Like, Uh-oh. I think the connection just. Yeah, it looks like we froze up. That's yeah. okay. We can edit this part out. One eternity later. Well, I was saying, I think where I get most of my therapy nowadays and, and stuff like that is being able to give my message and be positive and talk to super duper awesome, amazing, studly, wonderful people like the three of you on the other side of this camera. <laughs> Aw, uh, thank you. Right here, right here in the fields. That's where it got us. Um, got it deep. So, uh, hey, we're oh, going to give you. It got me in the arms and legs. <laughs> <laughs> so that means you don't feel. Got it. It. Yeah, he got it. No feels. He got then. us on that one. Um, <laughs> real That's quick. what the Taliban. Oh, he got me. He got me on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, get, he walked into that one. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he walked right into it. So me uh, too. Me too. <laughs> Uh, so as we uh, as we close out, I do want to give you one quick uh, last opportunity to kind of plug plug your uh, foundation to the listener so that folks can get out there and, and uh, find a way to support you uh, even from a distance and during these trying times. So go go for it. Absolutely. If you visit travismillsfoundation.org, you'll find everything there. And if you can't remember all that, just type in travismills.org and you'll find my personal website that will lead you to all the super duper awesome things that I'm able to do. And I appreciate the support. And I hope everybody enjoyed this today. And thank you so much for your time. Travis, you're the man. Thank you for your time and your willingness to sit down with us. Uh, I continue to uh, look forward to some of the great things that you and your uh, uh, team are going to continue to get after. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. Absolutely. Thanks for your I appreciate you calling me Travis, even though you know I go by good looking, though. But anyway. Oh, sorry, good looking. Oh, see, I was, (laughs) I'm not calling you that. I don't think you look that good. All right. Hey, take care. And uh, until next time, continue to get after it. Did you know you can reach out to us via our social media sites? Yes, you can. Folks, we truly do want to hear from you. You see, it's your feedback, your questions, your insights, which are vital to our ability to remain relevant and meaningful to you, the listener. So give us a shout out. You can find us on Facebook. Simply search Professional Development Center dash CAFB. Again, Professional Development Center dash CAFB. We're also on Instagram at pdc.cafb. Again, pdc.cafb. And finally, via our email, 27soffs.pec at us.af.mil. That's two seven Sierra Oscar Fox Sierra Sierra dot Papa Echo Charlie at us.af.mil. Folks, we do want to hear from you. You have listened to an episode of Pulse, recorded by members of the Cannon Air Force Base community. The views expressed within this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily represent the view of the DOD, Department of Defense, or its components. To the airmen, soldiers, sailors, and Marines, we'll see you again soon.